So I know that you were able to transition pretty much from um, a smaller team in the office mm -hmm. to a doubling in size distributor, yes. right? So tell me what worked, what didn't work? What did you learn? <laughs> Is oh, there a playbook? Boy. Are we expecting a book by Cardell of like uh, <laughs> <laughs> how to build a, a distributed cross-functional team? You know, in six months <laughs> and release them for platforms. <laughs> I can definitely say that for me at least, and maybe this is actually similar to the story you were just telling before, uh, Nell, where you were like, yeah, I mean, working from home is actually strictly easier for me. Like in almost across the board, it was just strictly easier. I have my own office. I have my own computer. My computer at home was, was stronger than my computer at work. Uh, it's more comfortable. My desk layout was better and my commute was way better. So all of those put together meant that I was significantly more effective at home than I was otherwise. But that was not for everyone. So one of the things that when we first started down this road, uh, we were basically like, how do we find a way to give people a, a sense of normalcy? And this is where we invested in things like we, we, have a, we have a Discord service that we set up that is actually structured like the office. So it actually has all the same meetings room, meeting rooms in it that the office did. Uh, we actually broke it up by departments so people would log into Discord so you could actually have walk-by conversations with people. And we actually, at the time, there was a lot of screen sharing for the artists. They actually do like over the shoulders just by basically streaming on that service as opposed to like trying to stream on Twitch or dealing with some other more technical, uh, therefore harder to use service, uh, which, you know, there are plenty of. Like we found Google Meet didn't really hit the level of detail that we needed for a lot of like the art feedback and art feedback sessions, but Discord handled that very, very well. Uh, but I'm sorry, I guess I'm getting very, I'm getting very, very detail-oriented. In reality, it's like, what you- I love what you, it. No, no, oh, keep doing oh, it. I was like, oh, this okay. is also, I'm oh, like okay. literally sitting here and thinking, I'm like, why didn't, I mean, we use Discord or working with our vendors and I'm like, this could be a possibility as well. So keep doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, and actually since then, Discord has had a lot more support. So you actually do a lot more simultaneous screen, like screen uh, sharing, which has been great because then there'll be random art jam sessions that people do where all the artists in the same channel all stream in their work. And people are just like looking around. We have like visitors in there. Like anyone can go into the channel to look at people's work. But it's only recently we've been like, no talking unless you're one of the feedback people because it's just like there's just too many people now at the company, and there's too many people who are interested in what we're in in what those uh, art sessions are like. Now, similar token, we instituted like a, a standard, uh, uh, a somewhat militant uh, email slash scheduling system, which is actually built off of. Uh, there's an HBR article from years ago about just like being like military, military precision in, in emails. So they always start off with like a, a bracket action. If like, if you need someone to do something urgent, if it's actually urgent, you might add that as a separate bracket, it might be feedback, might be info, you know, basically uh, the standard kind of like, um, I'm trying to think of the word for it, but you know, like kind of like the gatekeeper kind of concept of like the racy kind of racy approach. But uh, we did that and that also helped a lot because it meant that people were actually responding to their mails relatively quickly because they, you love the bottom, the bottom line up front is basically like, this is what I need from you. And then from there, the notes are all the different explanations of that. And whenever we scheduled a meeting, it would always have a bracket at the end of either meet or discord. So people knew where the meeting was going to be. That's always very important. Since then, we've been mostly going back to meet. We typically use meet for most, uh, most um, teleconferences, but we use discord for like a lot of internal activities. Because again, as I was saying before about the streaming and the art team really heavily uses Discord, the, preferably the most, versus the engineering team generally doesn't really care that much to use Discord. They're mostly Google Meet or just use Slack itself. 
and we already had Slack as, as well. So effectively, we have three different services we're using. But the main goal for all this was in rolling out this as a, as a problem, rolling out, these, rolling out this approach. I, one of the things which I do whenever I roll out any new approach is I will typically roll the approach for the first week. And then at the end of it, I'll send a survey as like, what did you think? And normally it's like a bunch of different questions. Like I, I tend to really prefer the, you know, rate, rate, this, rate this from one to five stars. And then for the concrete, like what change would it have to take for this to go one star up? So like it kind of forces people like to kind of like contextualize what they think is important. But like, it was really just around iterating on the process and making sure everyone could feel like their opinions are being heard. And then I followed up with those people just, you know, independently and tried to make sure that we acted on those things. Like, cause I think it's a very important if you're asking your team for feedback, you can't just silently fix their problems. It's actually similar to like silently updating your game. Cause you get no credit for the changes you make that you don't tell other people you made. And it's no different for your team. Like when a person gives, gives feedback, you're better off always telling them, even if you actually don't fix their feedback, telling them you read their feedback and you think it was important, but you can't fix it for these reasons is actually better than just fixing their problem and never telling them. Yeah, I'm with you. I do the same with, uh, with uh, my art clients. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in the end of, actually after first or second delivery, I send a survey with three questions and ask people mm-hmm. to rate it one from one to nine because I disagree yeah. with 10 as a thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? that's fair. 10, 10 is a mythical number, I totally get it. <laughs> So, but it's like, it actually gives the, it gives people a possibility to reflect and also mm-hmm. gives a possibility for them to be heard outside of the thing is like, it's not only the product that being created, but it's also a service that is around creation of this product that makes an experience. So like, how would you know that people are happy unless you, you know, unless you ask them? And yep. sometimes you're like, okay, so I, we also, I, I also ask a question, like, how do you, how can you take it one star, you know, up? And that's how you learn, how can you do better? And this is the moment where people are like, whoa, I didn't even think I can ask for that and actually get it. Yes. It's like a new year's present. Like I'm yep. going to really get my gifts. So yep. I, it's, it's awesome. It's a great idea. Yep. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So sorry, two other words real quick. One of them was mm-hmm. like, the other big one was in your questionnaires, you're always better off asking people what their number one source of stress is and then ask them if there's, if there's a way for a person, way for proletariat to help them. Because sometimes it's important for people to understand that the stress that they have is something that is not, has nothing to do with their job. It is something like for a lot of people, like we eventually got to the point where, where I would run these surveys about every week until finally I, I had no more clear wins, but I'd run them every two weeks, then I'd run them every month. And I kind of keep slowing them down because it's like the process is effectively it, you know, it's effectively locked in at this stage, but like towards the end, I was beginning to see people actually say like, I just have existential dread and there's literally nothing. Like I look around the state of the nation, the state of the world, and I'm just depressed. And they're like, I, there's nothing that proletariat can do to help here. And it's like, it's important that for people to understand that sometimes, because I do feel like you can end up in a place where people, where people expect uh, their job to solve problems that they themselves have to confront. And getting a person to actually write that out is very, very important for, I think, for not only their growth, but also so that, you know, you can actually contextualize any hardships there that that person is dealing with over the next few months. Because like, you know, you always have to at least understand your team. Doesn't mean you have to sympathize with them. Doesn't mean you have to, you know, doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you need to solve any of their problems, but I think understanding them is very, very important as a baseline. And then I'm sorry, and the last one was one thing that, that I realized probably towards our race to feature complete where I began to realize that our meetings were getting really, really contentious, like really contentious. And 
and thinking about it more during my, you know, <laughs> during my post work work time, I've, I've began to understand like, we don't see each other unless it's to scream at each other. Like those are the only meetings we have now because you know, everything else is done by mail. And if it can't be resolved in mail, it has to be done by a, by a teleconference. And the more conferences you're doing there, the more problems you're going to have. So we started instituting more like lead lunches, um, coffee breaks, kind of just things that were just like, look, you can see your coworkers and not have to be violently defending a decision you made or violently attacking a decision they made. You can actually just see them to just see them. And that's okay. And the instant that happened, that made things a lot better. Like, and I'm so glad we did that before we got into full on cert because by full on cert and certification process, like stress was at a, was at a, an amazing, amazing record high. I, I actually want to, uh, if there would be an opportunity, I would love to see one day your uh, inspirational why talk on your, uh, on your production meetings. Because I'm like, <laughs> there's, I mean, I'm, no joking. It's something that I'm trying to figure out how to do is like how to make that Friday meeting inspiring enough that everybody's like, damn it, this week was so hard, but I really, you know, feel so good to be a part of this team. Like I write, uh, I write a, a a huge message on Slack every Friday um, mm-hmm. to like say thank you to every member and and acknowledge everything that they have done and like how far we've come and like so glad we didn't die through this week. So want to learn about um, production, the hiring, the hiring part of the um, you know of of your times through pandemic because you grow like what 60 people right around that number roughly around there yeah yeah so how did you do that and what were the challenges with that and what 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 were like the celebrations around that i tend to favor a define your problems before you hire because if you don't define your problems before you hire what can happen is you don't necessarily hire the best person to solve your problems. You hire the person that is, seems to be the most appealing in the moment or seems to have the right answers or probably seems to be the most, uh, you know, I think there have been many psycholog- psychological studies that have shown this, seems to be the most like you. And I actually don't think that's a good way of, of hiring a team. I actually think that you're almost always better off. Again, your team needs to actually have a thread that they all respect each other, but they don't need to be like you. But if anything, it's actually better if they aren't like you because it means that overall, you can leverage from other people's lived experiences in ways that you wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So when we started off, the problems I, I tried to identify were forecasting problems, follow-up, follow-up problems, um, scalability problems, and repeatable process problems. And from there, it's like looking around at that side. Some of those were capable, capable of being solved in-house, but only if we had initially, and then from there hiring to fill those. Like that was that was the big one. And it allowed us to kind of have a wide array of different producers that we were interviewing. And it also allowed us to have a little more clarity on like, well, how would this person fit? Like this person could fit, they're gonna require more handholding, but I think they can actually handle this job more, you know, better from a moment to moment version than this other person who's clearly done this job before, but speaks about everything at very, very high level. And I don't, I don't think that actually solves the problems we have right now because we're not having high level problems. We're having functional execution problems. And therefore yeah. it's like, that didn't, you know, like knowing those things is actually very helpful because I often, I often hear people talk about like, I needed a one senior person, but that doesn't really mean anything. Cause like, and Danelle, you have, you live this, right? Like the higher up in an organization you go, the less defined your job actually is. 
So when a person says they want a senior person for something, I'm always like, you have abstracted this to the point of uselessness because like the senior people in different organizations do wildly different things. And therefore saying you want a senior person may mean you end up with a person who just hates it here and wants to leave, or you might end up with a perfect candidate, but like, it's going to be a random chance to see which one you get because you're not being concise about what your problem is. So, yeah. Yeah, anyways, I, I, I'm, very, I'm very anal about uh, uh, job description and things that people are going to do. And I always write out uh, the goals for the first two months of things that people need to do, accomplish. And then when you actually, I'm going to tell you a secret. This is what I do for my hiring. I have a questionnaire. Like we don't, we don't accept resumes as a thing at all. We okay. have a, a Google questionnaire that we ask questions of the things that when the person is filling in and like there's like things that you need to rate about your skills, there's the questions that are asked about your job that the person can while filling in feel whether that's a fit for them or not. Because if yep. it's a no, 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 yes, maybe, yes, nine out of 10, three out of 10, right. then there is a clearly not a fit. Right. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, and like, I don't even interview people. I just scan the stuff and I'm like, cool, this are yes, let's go. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you already asked all the questions that saved people two hours of them being interviewed for the job that they would hate. And mm -hmm. you, like your HR, your recruitment, yourself, and then following up all the, it's unnecessary. 15 yep. questions, 10 questions, questionnaire, go. How do you build your team? Like, how do you choose people that are a fit from perspective of, you know, hard skills and soft skills? Like, what are the key things that you are looking for in people? And what do you do when you don't find certain skills, but you have shit that needs to be done? When it comes to hiring a, hiring a teammate or a team member, mm -hmm. is I need, to, I need to understand that they are humble enough that they can be wrong. And I need them to understand that they, uh, they are, it is their job to clearly communicate problems, problems they see, problems they're having. Like I, I don't like for me, it's like, that's, those are the two things that I really, really ultra care about. Everything else is, you know, a soft scale. It's kind of what we were talking about earlier where it's like, Hey, you can speak English. It's cool. <laughs> My very first production hire at proletariat. She has exhibited this trait, which is she is extremely competent. So competent in fact that, uh, she doesn't seem to have an edge to what she can handle. And I finally told her like, look, I am going to keep giving you stuff, but I need you to come to me when you're drowning. And she's like, okay. And I just kept giving stuff to her. And I was like, I was morbidly fascinated. Cause I'm like, it's clear to me you're drowning right now. But I, I didn't say this to her. It was more just like internal monologue. She's definitely drowning, but she's not saying anything yet. So I have to keep giving, giving things to her. Otherwise I'm, otherwise I'm not living up to my, my side of the bargain. And lo and behold, like two months after, I, after that point, she was like, yeah, I, I, I'm actually drowning. Like, I really need your help. And I'm like, I was wondering when you were finally going to do it because like, and that kind of like allowed me to, allowed me to, uh, to wrap that down. So why did you make that girl drowning? Was it like, a, what was the purpose of the exercise? <laughs> so, so when we started off, uh, when we started off, she was an associate. So she was very much at the level of the problems that she had to solve were problems that were relatively basic and problems that people knew the answers to. Once she became mid-level, that's when I said, that's when the rules changed. When I'm most of the time, when I say this to mid-level people, I'm normally like, Hey, especially if I had, especially if I hired them as a mid-level, it's different than if they were promoted to become a mid-level. So in her case, since so she was promoted, it was a, our relationship is changing now. 
because though you still directly report to me, the problems you are going to have, some of them I can't just give you a, a quick answer for. Some of them are you're going to have to figure, out, figure those out for yourself. And therefore, it's, I'm not going to know enough to be able to tell you that you are going to be underwater. You're going to have to get used to escalating that information to me. Versus when, as an associate, I could easily tell by looking at certain, by certain things, certain outputs, even just certain conversations we were having, I could tell when things were going wrong. Versus when you're owning a, you know, you're owning a whole chunk of, a chunk of the project and an important chunk of the project, even at that, like there's no guarantee I'm going to be able to tell right up front that things are going wrong. So I, I needed to, I needed to train the upward push of information as opposed to kind of effectively her getting that for free. So it was kind of a bit of a lesson in that sense. So it was like, it was so, so if I can sum up, it's pretty much a training session to make sure that when certain issues are happening, they're escalated timely yeah. so that you can manage them. But I thought you well, don't want to manage it. Oh, no, to be fair, it's not even, not even so I can manage them. It's like in, in that case, it was more along the lines of she was just stuck doing too much. I needed to find ways to offload things from her plate. And some of that is just like, again, if you train, once you start training people to be go-getters and solve problems, they will go and find problems to solve. But often by virtue of doing that, they're not as good at prioritizing which problems can just wait. And like- Do you have, do you have any way that you train specific like Boy Scout school or Girl Scout school that you train your uh, producers to like work with risks and with contingencies? Like, do you have like a certain formula like, uh, this is how so, we address risks, the proletariat. Yeah, so job. releasing Spellbreak in the middle of a global pandemic, that was where we changed our, our risk assessments and our, and our contingencies the most. We actually shifted from a scrum process to a process called a, a PERT process, which is effectively a form of waterfall, but it's a PERT specifically refers to, it, it was apparently it was built by the US Navy through their bureaucracies of just trying to figure out like, how do we find a way to measure time and energy uh, that it, how long it will take to do certain things. So we enacted that, that system. And the good thing about the system is that you shift from like a point-based system to something that is closer to like a, a, a two day estimate system. And it comes with a bunch of other math around it of like, you know, you, you actually scale out, scale out your work by the amount of days that people say it's going to take then from there, there's a formula based off the amount of days that, days that you already had to schedule, which you have to, you basically uh, create as a buffer because there's going to be found work. And the, more, the longer people work for, the more, like it's basically a flat percentage of the amount of time you work for is going to be your buffer. And then from there, like, that's when we actually moved on to like full on, like heavy, heavy cert, heavy bug fixing, like uh, trying to fix all of those problems. Now, contingencies for the, for the most part for us is, and this is something we're still, we're still focused on, you know, like because of the fact that you're paying such close attention to the actual part and part estimates, you eventually get to the point where you can swap things in and out based off of how you're performing against those estimates. So that such that you can basically, you can, like if you're lucky, let's say you move something from engineer A to engineer B or designer A to designer B. Great. But there also, there also might be a world where you've just decided, I, I can't actually get this thing anymore. I'm just going to kill this small piece. And that's, that is a contingency, which I have based off of the amount of time energy we had. Like I've already, I've marked that at the beginning and these other ones are kind of like, um, I'm trying to get a word for it. They're in our own backlog. So if they're, they're, I, you don't have time for this five, this five day task you have on you, but there are these three one day tasks in the backlog that I think it's worth it for us to just do. 
even though you're not even conversing with those systems, it'll probably take you around five days because each of them will take a little bit longer and better to do that now than this other task, which I know you're not going to finish based off of velocity and, and timing. Like what are the things that didn't work through that process? And what are the things that you feel would work, but you just haven't had a chance to introduce or maybe a little bit afraid to introduce because everything else going to, you know, you're like, maybe everything collapsed if I do that, you know, because especially when you have hard deadlines, you're like, yeah. It's like playing this game when you pull one, yes. yeah, yeah. one thing and you're like, <laughs> and literally fall, the whole thing, fall, fall. Yes. please don't fall, please don't fall apart. Uh, so I would say <laughs> there are a few things. Uh, one of them is we are not, we're not successfully counting bug totals into the size of a given release. And therefore we're effectively carrying bug debt forward and forward, which means that mm. each release gets each release has that much more time and energy spent, like at least uh, has a bigger and bigger blank check written on bugs that isn't being accounted for within their estimation process. So that's something which, I'm, which I just know I need to, that's relatively easy to fix, but it also just means that I need to, we need to push together as a, as a team to basically re-audit and re-triage those, those bug totals. Because sometimes you punt something out two or three releases just because it's not that important. And sometimes you punt something out two or three releases because you love to get it fixed now but it absolutely does need to get fixed in two or three releases. You know, there's no more wiggle room. It has to go out. And it's hard to tell what those are when you're talking about you know, four months between them. Uh, I think another portion of a thing that, which just needs, we need to get just better at, uh, one of the things that we have as a culture is understanding why. People, you should always understand why you're building something. And that's something that Proletariat has you know, kind of inst institutionalized. Like we do weekly updates every week to try to explain to people what we're doing and talk about why we're doing it. Uh, really? I think every th week? Yeah, every Friday. Does it, every get, Friday. Does, it, does it get repetitive? Do you feel like, um, oh, why am I doing that? Because I'm trying to do that. And I, every time I do it, I'm like, mm, you know, I kind of yeah. feel like. <laughs> so I think the trick is, uh, it doesn't get repetitive for us. But I think the reason it doesn't get that repetitive is because each team effectively, it's like their own show and tell of the work they've been doing. Mm -hmm. So inevitably what you're getting is uh, you get, you get, you get a little bit of the recognition, which I think is important to have, especially now that we're over a hundred person company. So like, it's important for people to actually know that, hey, this person did this work. And especially since you might not even know their names, you never actually physically met the person, maybe never even been mm. in a Discord call with them. So that's, that's good. But I also think that the other side that's important here is that, again, you need to farm out the labor for the update. It needs to be something that it's not one person talking down to everyone and trying to spread information it's a bunch of people sharing what they're doing and sharing the reasons why they think they're doing these things. Like the more you have that and the more correct that is, the, the, better, it, the better proof you have that your message is being heard and acted on. At least if you're the one setting the tone for whatever that goal is. You know, so what's your why? Oh, well, I've, we've already talked about my why. My why is entirely, <laughs> I do things because I, I, I like interesting problems. I'm, okay. I'm too cat-like to cat -like to not to not have interesting problems. Otherwise I get bored and destructive. But, uh, Are you calling Spellbreak an interesting problem? Is that what oh, you're calling? <laughs> I'm actually, to be fair, I'm calling I'm calling proletariat an interesting problem. Like it's <laughs> okay. not even Spellbreak, right? Like I think I, think, I actually do think. So to be fair, and this is maybe me drafting a little bit off my my design background, but I think mm -hmm. that I think that games in general are are attempts to make interesting problems. Like any game that is compelling is an interesting problem. If the game isn't compelling, it's probably not interesting, right? <laughs> I mean, like so therefore you're not going to keep playing it. My new focus lately has been on trying to figure out how we can build more cross-departmental teams because I think that that will also solve some of these problems that we have where we have, we have specific departments who view themselves as a team 
But I mean, mm -hmm. to make a game, you need, you need art, engineering, design, product, QA. You need everyone kind of working together, which means you need a cross-functional team. And I would like to try to push more and more and trying to get more and more cross-functional teams. And we have a few, for, like, obviously. Those can't make a game like Spellbreak without them. But I would like it for, to be more in everyone's consciousness of really considering how does my work impact the other departments and how can I, how can I be better about that? So by cross-functional teams, you mean like having a team that is owning a certain feature and it consists of, uh, you know, engineers, designers, artists, and they have their own pod versus mm -hmm. having artists as one team and designers right. as one team, engineering right. as one team. Yep. 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 Got it. I mean, Do you have that also, already working or? Yes. So yeah, we, we've had cross-functional pods for a long, for a good chunk of time. And I would say that they are actually, they are card-carrying examples of where I would like for more of the company to be at. I think mm -hmm. one of the things which we're one of the things which I'm which I'm trying to push more on is trying to get more cross-functional mid-level teams. Like imagine a world where it's like you have uh, engineering leads, production, art leads across those pods, all collaborating to talk talk to each other about how they're building what they're building, what cost savings they've had, where they're spending their time and energy, what things could possibly make those things better. Like that's the type of cross-pollination I'm trying to get to at this stage. Because I'm trying to find more methods that we can drive both awareness and time savings. Because it's really time. Like time is the biggest thing you, you lose out to. Because time costs you momentum. Uh, time can cost you, time can cost you your delivery windows. Yeah. Because like, you know, you know, it's like all across those boards. So I, I'm trying to find more, with it, more methods to get time in front of everyone's you know, thought process. I think Spotify is, is a good example of uh, cross-functional yes. teams. I've read a bunch of stuff about them of like how they, how, those little departments own certain features and they yep. like just love them and they are yes. such experts of those features. Yep. And I think, you know, I think the worst, in my experience, the worst enemy in production or even in, in business in general is shifting tasks every 15 minutes. Like if yes. there is so many different things that you have to like kind of like change mm -hmm. the way your brain is working, that's yep. where you lose all the focus and attention. And sometimes they're like, I wish I was just focused on one thing and like just continuously working on them. I love, I love that idea. I hope you yep. guys succeed in that. So you hire people based on the problem, right? Mm -hmm. yep. And then, but you still hired like what, 60 people in yes. six <laughs> months. Isn't it yeah. a problem of its own? Uh, yes. So eventually I would say around halfway through that, it became the point where I was like, well, here's the issue. We are trying to, we're, we're trying to start our game and we're now at a point where ramping these people up effectively is actually making it less likely for us to hit our cert dates. Mm -hmm. Like that was where, that was where it really started to hit home. Like I was fortunate in the sense that I had almost every single producer I wanted by the end of June. Mm -hmm. Like there was, there was an opportunity hire or left afterwards, but reasonably speaking, having people by then meant that I didn't have the problem in July where it was like, okay, having like hiring another engineer in July doesn't help you if you're trying to go through cert in, at the end of July. Because they, they have to learn the code base, they have to learn, there's a bunch of things they need to learn and someone needs to help them. And that person who's helping them probably could also just be fixing bugs and they'll get you through cert. So, yeah. That, that was definitely a challenge. And I would say that what ended up happening was we ended up flexing, we basically ended up flexing uh, our orientation tasks. So one of the things we do as well, uh, which I cribbed from our 
old engineering lead back in back in Lord of the Rings. He was really good about breaking out um, really good about breaking out ramp up documents. And what what happened is like I we have a detailed schedule for the first month of your of you being there, mm-hmm. and what's expected of you for each of those weeks. And then from there we do a thirty or sixty or ninety year review. And those thirty or sixty nineties like they don't work out well for everyone. You know some people don't make it from the thirty sixty ninety. Um, but I mean, you kind of owe it to them and you owe it to your, owe it to your team to make sure that you take them, you know, take these, take these very seriously. Yeah. Now you try to make sure that those are all ramp up tasks that are actually viable for them, for them to do. And at that point in time, that was more of the struggle we had because again, as I was saying, people who started in July, their 30, 60, 90 were, was always going to be more stressful because they're not going to get the support they needed for the 30 or nowhere near mm-hmm. as much of, as, as they would need for the 30. So what typically that meant is their lead spent a lot more time with them, you know, just basically trying to, trying to help them, trying to, trying to give them context. In some cases, trying to give them advice, you know, and trying to carve out tasks that were a little bit more customized for them in mm-hmm. order for them, you know, in order for them to actually be able to succeed in some ways. And I think overall that seems to have worked fairly well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's the coupling of those two. It basically means that, that that ramp up time means you're working so much, you're working just extra, extra hard because every single person you hire you have to make a credible 30, 60, 90 ramp up task for, which means that there's no, like you're just hiring people to know what to do with them. Like everyone you hire, you, you sunk a bunch of time into making sure they had a 30, 60, 90 and, and some level of career growth slash way of evaluating them. We also do like so, Google forms as well, every 30, 60, 90 to get to collect feedback and get some actual verbatims from folks so that people know what they need to work on. I like it. I, I, I love, I love when there is a clear goal that is achievable and then a person also feels supported and it's yes. not like, Hey, I hope you don't drown. <laughs> you know, I hope a lot of people were, would be able to learn a lot and introduce the production practices and processes and all the little bits and pieces and management tricks um, into their work. And I certainly learned a lot and there's like, like a little bug already in my head, like, oh, don't forget to write it down. We can, we, we need to figure out how to introduce that. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad you've been uh, of service. I feel sometimes I was just too, too rambly, but hey, I mean, hopefully it was helpful for someone. And as long as it was helpful for you to know, then it was not a waste, so. Thank you. 